At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today we have James Barilla on the show to talk about his book, My Backyard Jungle. Jim is the author of two nonfiction books, including My Backyard Jungle. In his writing, he explores what it means to be human in the natural world. His work has also appeared in print and online in the New York Times, The Atlantic, National Geographic, and Conservation, as well as numerous other publications. He has also appeared on a variety of national public radio shows such as Wise Radio Times and PRI's Living on Earth. Jim currently serves as creative and environmental writing professor at the University of South Carolina. Welcome to the show today, Jim. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So... I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more sure. about the path you took to where you're at now? Yeah, sure. I, I'd be glad to. You know, uh, my, you know, my journey uh, really started out. Uh, I was uh, maybe preoccupied with wilderness, and I, I actually began working uh, right after college uh, in Yellowstone National Park, um, and and really, you know, enjoyed being out in, in the mountains and and uh, on the rivers and, and and really being out in wilderness. Um, it, it wasn't really until I shifted gears and and um, took a job working with the uh, British Trust for Conservation Volunteers uh, in the north of England, um, where I really started to, to see, see the landscape differently and also to see the possibilities of working not just out, uh, you know, in, in remote wilderness or, or really, you know, grand landscapes, but, but actually, you know, working in the city and working in small spaces and, and really started to think about those possibilities. When I, when I was working there, I actually worked for a... Um, Native plant nursery, and, and a lot of the stuff that we did was, uh, you know, helping schools design uh, gardens in their in their schoolyards, so schoolyard gardens that were both edible landscaping and also could provide all sorts of habitat for creepy crawlies, little little insects that, that the kids could, could check out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also helped farmers to um, plant uh, hedgerows of, of native species. Uh, a lot of those have been eradicated over the years, uh, right. and there was interest in replanting them. So that's how I got my start. And it wasn't really until uh, we moved to South Carolina and we bought our first house where I sort of thought, well, you know, I could probably put that, you know, the kind of stuff I was doing in, in, in England. What if I uh, what if I transferred that to, to our yard? What does mm-hmm. it mean to, uh, you know, to be sort of interested in gardening and interested in growing your own food and, and also interested in providing habitat for other species? Uh you know, in a relatively small space in the city, we we live on about a quarter to a third of an acre. Uh-huh. So, it's not uh, it's not there's no epic grandeur here, but uh, you know, nevertheless, there's a lot of space for us to do edible landscaping and also to uh, provide habitat for other species. Why is it important to provide habitat for other species? Well, you know, I, that that's a good question. I think you know, if you think about the human population growing and and cities expanding. 
um, our you know our habitat is expanding uh, into other species habitats, so we're, we're encountering these other species uh, with more frequency, um, all, all actually all around the around the world. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, I, I think it also gives us something back, or at least you know, I find that when I walk outside and I see something new, you know, some new creature uh, making use of, of of habitat that I've created, mm-hmm. that that gives me a sort of uh, a warm fuzzy feeling, I guess. Uh, you know, it, it just gives me a sort of positive uh, uh, sense in a time when you know so much of the news uh, that we see is is somewhat uh, gloomy. So you know, you can kind of you, know, you can kind of feel good about what you're doing in your own yard, at least, and hope that you're at least contributing something to um, species survival or increasing populations of species, things of that sort. Cre- increasing biodiversity. Increasing biodiversity, yeah, um, or or just increasing, for example, the number of uh, you know, if you have a sort of monarch way station in the yard, the oh, number yes. of, of monarchs uh, that might be able to uh, use that habitat. Uh, so biodiversity and also just the sheer number of, of species that might be rare otherwise. Yeah. So you wrote a book. Yeah, I did. I wrote a book about that process, and, and uh, I got interested. Once I started working in my own yard, you know, I, I got interested in the in the idea of people trying to live with wildlife more broadly. So I, I, I was not only uh, thinking about what I could do in my own yard, but also the, the question of, you know, not just how do I live with squirrels, but how do people live with far more challenging animals all over the world? So whether it's bears in New England or right. monkeys in Delhi or, oh, wow. uh, uh-huh. you know, tamarins in Rio, uh, those were the those were the kind of questions that I was interested in asking. You know, people are, are actually living with, you know, I think it's hard to live with squirrels, but people are actually... Uh, finding ways to live with, with species that I would at least consider a, a lot more challenging. Right. Um, so I thought I could, you know, learn some lessons from, from these other urban uh, contexts about, how you know, strategies, how to live with, you know, what, what your sort of general attitude toward other species uh, mm-hmm. might be, all of these kind of lessons uh, that, that uh, really, I thought, uh, added, added a real um, kind of international and, and global dimension to the, wow. to the whole project. So the yeah. book is My Backyard Jungle. The subtitle mm-hmm. is? The subtitle is? Uh, I, I got it here. It's the adventures, it. the adventures of an Urban Wildlife Lover Who Turned His Yard Into a Habitat and Learned to Live With It. That's right. You, you, it's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. That's why I was going to have to go get the book and read it off myself. Uh, that's okay. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, and so uh, it is, you know, it was, it was a, a multi-stage process, you know, of, of figuring out what we were going to do, what was possible in the yard, um, how to, um, you know, make that happen, uh, and what the challenges were going to be. And also, you know, learning to live with other species, it, it, it proved to be far more challenging than I, than I perhaps anticipated once the uh, other species, these, these creatures started showing up, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything from... Uh, you know, they, a lot of species are not necessarily interested in doing uh, using the habitat the way that you uh, want to keep should, it, or the way that you anticipate yeah. they should. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, they're not going to sort of uh, see see the boundary of your uh, vegetable patch and say, "Oh, okay, I see, I see what you're doing there," and we'll I'll leave that alone. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> so, so, I, so I'm looking at the table of contents here, and you, chapter yeah. four is the monkey menace. What is that about? Right. Well, that was uh, that was actually where I went to uh, visit uh, Delhi. Um, the monkey menace was coined by people there who were dealing with rhesus monkeys in the city. Um, wow! And the sort of uh, <laughs> the 
you know, the, the, the challenges really of dealing with an animal that that is both revered in that culture, mm-hmm. um, and also, uh, you know, if you encounter these animals up close, they're they're actually pretty fierce and and uh, and uh, not again not uh, really interested in respecting uh, our our boundaries. I remember watching these animals uh, from my hotel window. They're uh-huh. right across the street, and they were they're notorious for trying to get into people's houses and sort of raid the kitchen so they were wow, trying really? every they were trying the the doors and windows to see if they were locked shaking they were up on the balcony shaking these uh shaking these doors um dogs were out in the street barking but if they can if they find an open window they'll they'll dash into the kitchen and and uh go right into go right, so right that, into the kitchen and take all your food so they're that um, smart and, obviously and, uh, yeah uh you know <laughs> they're so they're they're extremely intelligent, um, they're, but they're also quite fierce. Uh, but but in that culture, you know, I think these are animals that, that I just can't imagine we would put up with uh, right. in, in 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 our context. But in in that culture, there's um, an amazing degree of tolerance. Um, you know, there's a long history with the, with the god Hanuman of of um, reverence for uh, these creatures, and people actually feed them. Uh, every Tuesday uh, is is a sort of special day, and there are people on the street selling bananas so you can feed the monkeys. And um, so there's this sort of real, uh, almost uh, you know, contradictory feeling where you know the animals are invading your house, but at the uh-huh. same time you're supposed to revere them. And so that the monkey menace was coined after one of a government minister was trying to um, swat them off his balcony and uh, was swatting at them with a the newspaper, and he actually fell off the balcony. So. Oh wow! Uh, that's when that's when the monkey menace was coined. So so hold on the the minister did or the monkey did? Uh, the, the minister was was trying to swat these monkeys off his balcony, and he lost his balance and fell off. Whoops! Uh, uh, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so you, the monkey the monkey menace uh, was coined in, in that in that area. So in writing this book, you traveled around the world. Where else did you go that was interesting? Um, well, you know, I went, one of the places I, you know, some of them were domestic and some were, were uh, international. I thought, um, to me, one of the more fascinating ones was actually Northampton, Massachusetts, and I'm actually from there. So it wasn't, um, wasn't that I was going far afield, but what I was going to look at was uh, urban uh, black bears. Um, I, hadn't, oh. I hadn't really anticipated the extent to which these bears were living really in the, in the, in the, in the downtown, um, wow. right in the city. You know, they had, you know, there, there were times when they had four radio-collared uh, female bears within the, within the downtown sort of city limits. Uh-huh. Um, and these are bears that, that feed uh, almost, you know, get a, get a great deal of their nourishment from uh, bird feeders um, oh. and uh, often uh, den under people's uh, decks and porches. Um, so one of, the, one of the funnier stories that the wildlife biologist told me was, um, you know, they, were, they had a radio-collared female. They were searching for her, and they, they, you know, they kept getting closer and closer, and they were in a, in, a, in a neighborhood of houses. And then they got to the house and started, you know, going around the side of the house. And, and, and so as they got around the back, they were calling out, and they found these two people who were in their hot tub uh, on their deck. Uh-huh. And they got closer and closer, and then they realized, you know, the bear is literally right underneath your hot tub uh, where you're bathing. Wow. And, and you know, they, they, you know, they said, uh, you know, you've never seen people get out of a hot tub so, so fast. fast. So, yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Uh, but she was under there with several cubs. Um, so, an inter- again, an interesting degree of, of tolerance for these animals, and, and also the animals um, being able to, to navigate that urban landscape mm-hmm. um, is uh, one of the more intriguing things that I, I discovered.
I wouldn't have thought that was possible. Yeah. So what inspired you to write this book? You know, uh, I think it, I think again, it was um, trying to find a way to, you know, we had just we, we had two small children and, and really, uh, you know, trying to find a way to feel uh, positive uh, about the environment and, and, and our kind of broader ecological situation in a time when, you know, it really does seem like there's a lot of uh, bad news out there. So, mm-hmm. you know, really feeling like you can uh, do something at least, uh, you know, right outside your own house that, that you feel like, well, you know, at least on a small scale, that's making a difference is something that um, was a process that I found uh, that I found inspirational, you know, for myself and, and just going out every day and seeing new things uh, arrive in the landscape, uh, mature and change, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's harvesting your own food or having the kids go out and pick uh, blueberries or uh, whatever blueberries you can get if the cardinals don't get them first, um, you know, that yes. kind of, you know, uh, those kind of um, moments where you, you sort of think, okay, you know, this is, you know, we are making a, a, a difference here. This, uh, right. this is doing something positive uh, in a time of, of, of great uh, change and, and, and really a sort of um, feeling of at least more broadly uh, environmental kind of uh, news that's, that's difficult. Yeah, perfect. And what's the big message behind the book? Well, I think the message is that, that you can, you know, uh, you can start small, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a major process. Um, you know, I think there's, I think there's, you know, ways that you can make small, take small steps, and and still uh, have uh, a very rewarding experience. So that that I think is is the take home that it, that it's both more interesting than you, than you might think, and also easier in some ways than mm-hmm. you might. Perfect. Think. So I like to share with our listeners the downfalls of doing this as well. So lessons learned, failures, that yeah. kind of thing. Do you have anything you'd like to share with us? Well, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think I mentioned earlier that it was a struggle uh, for us once the uh, once the wild animals started to arrive, and they weren't always uh, as as respectful of our our boundaries as as we might hope. Right. Um, you know, I I think one of the hardest parts was when uh, we we wound up having um, rats invade our house. Oh. Uh, you know, and they were living. Actually, uh, they came in through the crawl space and then um, mm-hmm. were making a lot of noise, a big racket every morning at about four in the morning. They'd get under the tub, which acted oh, as a kind of amplifier. Echo uh, yep, echo yeah, chamber. Yeah, so yep. you could hear this animal, you know, crawling around. And so we just, you know, we sleep at that time was hard to come by anyway, uh, since we were, you know, our, our children were quite young. So uh-huh. it really did. It really was quite disruptive, and and uh, both both my wife and I were were determined to. Uh, find ways to get rid of those, get those animals back outside. So right. I think it really did, that really did make, uh, make it clear that, you know, there are, there are boundaries where it's sort of, here's our space, there's the wildlife there's, yeah, space, exactly. and, and negotiating that. And, and, you know, and probably the other challenge, and it's an ongoing challenge, is just if you're trying to uh, grow your own food and you're trying to encourage wildlife to use your, your landscape, um, how, do you, how do you navigate having those animals? You know, you've watered these you know, in our case, it was peaches. You've watered this peach tree. You've you've been waiting for mm-hmm. the peaches to ripen. You want them to ripen on the tree so they taste better. And before you can even get one, the squirrels have taken every last uh, every last fruit. So yeah. what do you? How are you gonna? How, what are you gonna do about that? Right. Uh, you know, are you gonna trap them? Are you gonna? You know, how are you gonna navigate it? So, I think those challenges of just uh, trying to harvest food and also have the have the small space be. Share share the small space with wildlife was mm-hmm. one of is, is one of the biggest ongoing challenges and 
Um, we have managed to get some peaches, but uh, you know, at the same time, uh, the squirrels are, are quite ingenious at finding ways to get get most of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I I actually had a friend here in Phoenix that um, was having a, a significant bird problem, and they put a big mm-hmm. cage, a big wire cage around their peach tree. Yeah, yeah, I, I can. I, I tried uh, black mesh on the peach tree, but the squirrels seem to take it as a kind of ch- their own personal challenge to find ways in. Yeah. Um, so that actually wound up not working. The, the best thing that I found was actually a, uh, a Disney, Disney princess's pop-up tent that was my daughter's. Oh, um, wow. It, it was, I mean, we had it up in the yard for her to play with. And I, I noticed that when that was up and out there, just something about having all of these, uh, these figures with these giant, uh, staring eyes. Um, oh, that, that you know, having that at the base of the peach tree really did. Uh, that made a difference. So for for several weeks, the squirrels were just kind of freaked out by, <laughs> by having these wide-eyed princess figures right at the right at the base of the tree. And that was, if you put it there at the right time, that's that's often enough for you to at least gather some of these peaches before they figure out that it, that they're not three-dimensional. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, that and that might even con- that might either, even answer the next question, and that is, what do you consider one of your biggest successes in this arena? Yeah, well, you know, actually, I, I would say that one of the biggest successes that I've had is has come most th- just this year, just this summer. Yeah. I, um, you know, I got interested in the plight of of monarchs, and oh, um, yes, like a lot of people, I suppose, because I remember them from my childhood, and 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 have uh, you know can probably count on one hand the number that I've ever seen visit our yard. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of what I've been trying to do is to is to plant as many appropriate species of milkweed as I can mm-hmm. uh, in our yard. Um, try and find some of the native uh, local species, which are actually kind of uh, quite difficult to come by. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but also some of the showier ones as well um, have been doing that now for several years, and have never until this year have never had any success in terms of attracting uh, monarchs uh, that lay. That would you know use these as food for their larvae um, until this until this summer. Um, wow. And I never actually saw the butterfly, but just inspecting some of the milkweed plants that we had out there, noticed hey those leaves look kind of uh, <laughs> those leaves are full of holes. I wonder what's eating those. And sure enough, there were uh, five or six milkweed larvae uh, on there. And, and, and that you know so again you know that, that that sort of feeling of you're trying to do something and and uh, the wildlife actually uh, takes you up on the offer. Yeah. Um, that's that's there's a great deal of satisfaction there. So. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than these moments of conflict where you feel like, well, you know, I invited you in here, but, uh, right. geez, you're, you're, you're making my life uh, much harder <laughs> than it was. Yeah. Uh, here's something where it's like, you know, I, I've been trying to get you to come here, and finally you show up. Finally That's great. Show up. Fantastic. Fantastic. So here's a big question. What drives you? Like, what's your big why? Um, you know, I, you know, I, I think that what drives me is, I, you know, I, I guess, you know, you can think of, I, I just like getting up every morning and, and going outside and seeing what's new uh, out there. Um, you know, that moment of discovery uh-huh. each day, and 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 over the years, you know, the the yard, you'd think, oh, it's 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 kind of a static place, but in fact, it it, it changes subtly, and and fairly dramatically from year to year. Um, you know, new species, things that things that I've never seen before appear. Just a few days ago, uh, you know, I was looking out the window, and sure enough, there was uh, a bird that was new on my life list, which is a, a yellow-breasted chat, oh, wow. um, a neotropical migrant, was in uh, this hedge, you know, pecking at these ripe beauty berries, uh, these pink, they're pink kind of glossy berries, they're mm-hmm. inedible to people, uh, but they, it, it, for whatever reason, 
was feeding on those, um, and I'd, I'd never seen one outside of a, of a field guide before. So, wow. um, you know, just to, to see, I think, again, to discover new things like that each day is, is, is great. And, and also, you know, when you've put uh, the time and effort into, um, you know, caring for these, these uh, garden plants to have those, uh, you know, to be able to dig potatoes with your kids or pick raspberries, those are, you know, moments of uh, yeah. satisfaction too. You know, the kids each have their own little patch of the yard and they, you know, try and, try and grow things and hopefully uh, get to harvest something every once in a while. So I think there's satisfaction there too. And I think those are the moments where, you know, you, again, you sort of feel like, well, you know, this is, uh, even if we're not growing all of our own food here, we're mm-hmm. still contributing, I'm still sort of contributing yeah. or cultivating this kind of ethos uh, in the yeah. kids of, of, you know, it's possible to see and live with other species and, and produce your own food. Wow. So I, as you were sharing that, I want, I have a, a, a special question for you. Go, yeah. go stand in your backyard, metaphorically, of course, and look sure. around. What What does your backyard look like? <laughs> well, right now it looks kind of, uh, there's quite a bit of upheaval. Uh, that was one of the new things that happened that, that was not uh, uh, so happy. But, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Columbia, South Carolina, we just had some pretty dramatic flooding uh, oh, wow. a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. And yes. uh, as I discovered, I would not have known this before, but our, uh, the, you know, our house was built in the 1940s, and, mm-hmm. and uh, the backyard uh, is actually slopes down to the back of our house, um, which oh. in the middle of a flood is not good. Um, That's true. <laughs> so, the, you know, our, our house flooded underneath our house, actually, uh, in the crawl space during this last uh, flood event. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've been out there the last few weeks digging French drains. And in fact, it was a a sort of desperate moment when I got up on the Sunday morning and we'd had about 20 inches of rain. Mm -hmm. Um, The only, I didn't have any sandbags to stop this water. uh, So the only thing I had was actually our vegetable garden. I I wound up using, (laughs) using the, uh, using our our vegetable patch as a kind of uh, makeshift berm to try and, uh, uh, you know, fend off some of the water water off from, from the back of our house. So, Right now, our, our yard uh, has patches of, of upheaval uh, and mm-hmm. change, um, and there are also, but it's also, you know, there's some uh, goldenrod out there that's probably, uh, you know, seven or eight feet tall, and that's wow. mixed in with uh, with some late season uh, swamp uh, sunflowers mm-hmm. and various other uh, asters and some various other uh, late fall. Uh, Nice wildflowers and and uh, you know so it, 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 nevertheless there there are patches where you sort of think okay there's still stuff happening here yeah nice so I'm all about education and I have to know is there mm-hmm. one is there one book that has been really influential in your life for you um yeah yeah for sure I mean I, I think my favorite book and just in terms of of uh, the ethos of thinking about um, less than uh, less than you know place, small places and play, the value of places that maybe are not uh, traditionally sublime or aesthetically pleasing but nevertheless have value mm-hmm. um are is uh aldo leopold sand, sand oh. county almanac oh yes um, yep you know and, and and really the feeling of just going out every day and and making taking note of these small details uh in the landscape and and perhaps not the most charismatic species but species that are nevertheless interesting um, I, I think that really resonated with me, and, and it yeah. was something that inspired me to to think uh, about how I could approach my own yard. Yeah, right. Very nice. One final piece of advice for our listeners. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, it doesn't have to be a major undertaking, and I, I would suggest maybe checking out National Wildlife Federation's um, backyard uh, wildlife gardening uh, website. They've got a number of suggestions there, and you can check out the certification process they have. Uh, but, you know, as they uh, mentioned there, you can start with a planter on a balcony. Uh, you can really um, do quite a bit in a small space. So that would be my um, primary recommendation. And, and the second one is, is also to think about to what extent, you know, you can uh, live with habitat that doesn't, doesn't look, um, you know, aesthetically or conventionally uh, pleasing. How, yeah. how much uh, untidiness can you can you uh can you live with because i think that's that's part of uh part of what wildlife enjoys and 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 so learning to live with that kind of degree of well there's a little bit of patch here that doesn't look yeah doesn't look quite as tidy but there's a lot living going on in there so i think that's the other bit of advice perfect welcome to nature right that's right <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah. um do you have a website uh what's the best way for our listeners yeah, to get it's, hold of yeah uh, and uh, you can go there and find out uh, information. And I'm also on Twitter, at James Barilla, so you can check me out there. Perfect. And the best way to get a hold of you on your website? or um, You can, well, you know, actually, uh, you, can, you can contact me on Twitter. That's great. Or Perfect. on Facebook at My Backyard Jungle uh, is on Facebook as well. So you can post, post things there or ask questions about uh, your wildlife garden or uh, things of that nature on Facebook as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today and sharing your experience, Jim. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you very much for having me. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.